Praise the Lord. Um, again, a beautiful uh, Sunday that we can gather and, and worship together. Thank you for uh, coming and, and being the church and for uh, coming and, and uh, worshiping with us. We pray that uh, we'd encounter the, the living God. Um, typically, this uh, Sunday, a lot of people say, a lot of uh, quote-unquote church experts say the Sunday after Easter a lot of times can be a, a very difficult week because uh, numbers tend to rise on Easter Sunday, and then they tend to, to uh, go back down on the following week, and there's kind of this emotional letdown. Uh, I want to uh, talk about the fact that last week was Easter. Um, now what? What happens now? What happens now that Easter has, has come and gone? Tim Hughes said of Easter, it's the greatest day in history. Hey, do we really believe that to be true? That what we celebrated last week is the greatest day in history, where death has been defeated, sin has been conquered because of what Christ has done, and every week when we gather, it is a repeated celebration of that greatest day in history. Is that what we believe uh, to be true about Easter, and is that what we believe to be true about every time we gather? Because here's the, here's the cold, hard facts. Right, here's, the, here's the fact of the matter. Great many people who come to church on Easter Sunday and celebrate Easter live as if none of that were true. If indeed it is the greatest day in history where our lives are forever changed, then it ought to change the way we live life. But the reality is for so many people who fill so many pews in so many churches around the world, that's not the case. So I want to talk about in the aftermath of Easter, so what, now what, how do we live, what, is that, what does that do in our lives? The uh, phrase that has become quite popular these days, it's been around for quite a while, but uh, Francis Chan in one of his books has kind of popularized it, it's a, it's a term called practical atheism, here's what that means, atheists believe that there is no God, ah meaning no, and theist God, atheists believe that there is no God, and while most of us would believe in here, none of us would say I'm an atheist, we'd all say yeah, of course we believe in God, his name is Jesus Christ, he's our God, he's our Lord, he's our Savior, though most of us would say we believe in that, when it comes to the practical aspects of our lives, uh, a lot of people live as if God were not really alive. And I want to talk about that today as we look into the aftermath of Easter at the end of Luke's gospel and see the so what about Easter and see if we are living as practical atheists and if we are that we would examine our hearts and see how Easter makes a difference in the way we live. Luke chapter 24, we're going to read verses 36 through 53. Now that Easter's passed, now what? This is God's word. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. While they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. 
that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. This is God's word. We see uh, Jesus comes in, in, the, in the flesh, and he says, see my hands and feet that are scarred, and he says, touch them. And then he says, do you have something to eat? Because uh, everyone knows that uh, ghosts, if it's just an apparition, they can't eat uh, literal food. And so Jesus is showing that he's risen from the dead, and because of Easter, because of his resurrection, three things that have to be affected, our worship, our prayer, and our witness. And these are three things that we're going to look at here. The first thing about practical atheism, people who say they believe in Jesus and yet their lives do not show it, the first thing about practical atheism is that their worship is me-centered. Okay, let me ask you this morning, who is the center of your worship today? Who is the focus of your worship today? What constitutes good worship for you? Is it hearing a message that uh, causes me to laugh or that causes me to be moved in my heart? Is it about singing songs that I like or that I resonate with? Or is it singing songs that I was thinking about that this morning and so now that I sing that song, it must be God speaking to me. What constitutes good worship to you? At the end of the day, when you go home, is it about yourself and about what you received and what happened in you or is it about God and declaring and proclaiming his worth? See, my, uh, my wife, Olivia, had this friend in college. Um, she, I, I kind of know her also, so I, can, I think I can speak about her in this way. But um, she was really passionate, really passionate, but um, she was a, a little bit on, on the clumsy and, and, and ditzy side. And so uh, there was a song back when, when they were in college. It was called Jesus, Lover of My Soul. Do you guys know this one? Um, Jesus, Lover of My Soul, It's All About You. And uh, the song goes, um, it, it goes, uh, it's all about you. It's not about me, as if you should do things my way. I surrender. Uh, you alone are God, and I surrender to your ways. And, and one time she was singing, and she was so passionate. She was so into it at their, at their, uh, at their uh, fellowship, campus fellowship meeting, and she was so uh, just heartfelt. But bless her soul, she got the words wrong. And so she was like uh, singing this song, and, and uh, you should hear Olive tell the story, but this girl's eyes were closed really tight, and she was lifting her hands. She's like, it's all about me. <laughs> it's not about you. And I think a lot of times we come into worship, not with those words, but with that mindset that it's all about me and it's not about you, Jesus. It's about what you can do for me and how you can make me feel and about how I can feel a little bit better about myself when I go home today. See, worship is what it says in verse 52, after they saw the risen Lord, it says, then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. By definition, worship at its very essence of its being has to be God-centered because worship is to proclaim and to declare the worth 
of the one whom we worship. That's the word that worship comes from. It means worth-ship, to declare the worth of the one whom we worship. And unless we're worshiping ourselves, then by definition, worship is always God-centered. It's always Christ-centered. That's why we sing in the heart of worship, you are the king of endless worth. And only when we see that can we really and honestly and genuinely worship I worshiped pretty well last week, and I'm not talking about, not talking about church. Uh, someone had posted a link, and, and so I clicked on it, and it was about this, like, uh, this basketball player, a guy named Marcus Thornton. He's not really a famous guy, but uh, last week during one of these games, he, uh, he did this crazy dunk on this guy named Gerald Wallace. I don't know if you saw it, but it's just absolutely mind-boggling. And um, it's, it's Sports Center Top 10 and all these things. And I, I was clicking on the link, and it was just like 15 seconds. But you watch it, and uh, this guy, I'm sorry, if you don't understand anything about basketball, this will mean nothing. But it was a very good play. Um, that's a summary of it. But he went baseline, and then he flushed it on Gerald Wallace. Gerald Wallace gets, gets pretty high, too. And he flushed it on I, I remember after watching that, I was like, oh, my goodness. That was amazing. Here, okay, here's, a, here's, if I can just break it down simply, here's a Dr. Seuss version of it. As soon as he said, pow, I said, wow. <laughs> as soon as he put it down, I was like, oh, my gosh, because that's what worship is. Worship, by definition, is always a response, how we respond to something that we have witnessed, to something that we have seen. That's what worship is. It is to declare the worth. When I was worshiping, I was declaring the worth of Marcus Thornton and his dunk. Nobody had to make, it, was not, it wasn't about me. My worship wasn't about, uh, <laughs> it was, it, there was no way that could be about me. It was about all that he had just done. And as soon as he did it, here's, here's how Shaquille O'Neal said it back then. He said, you can't fake the funk on a nasty dunk. When someone puts it down, you've got to respond, don't you? That's worship. And by very definition, it has to be about, centered about something outside of me. That's what worship is. See, practical atheists make worship about us, about us and about what we can derive out of it, about all that we can get out of it. But true worship is always, always God-centered. Here's how you know that it's it's God-centered, okay? Here's how you know. Verse 52, they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. To, this, this verse is, is packed and loaded, and I, I'm not going to unpackage it, but just to say this one thing. For them to return to Jerusalem was to go into the very heart of the place where they were hunted and wanted. The people who killed Jesus would want to kill them too, and yet because they saw the risen Lord, because of the reality of Easter, they went into that place in worship with great joy, even though it came at great cost to their lives. That's how we know that worship is not about us, but it is about him. There's a cost to our worship. What is the cost of worship to you? Dietrich Bonhoeffer would explain the difference as there's such thing as costly worship and there's such thing as cheap worship. Cheap worship is worship that costs us nothing. How much do we give when we come to worship, and how much do we come simply seeking to receive? Last week or two weeks ago, I heard, uh, as I was sitting here before service started, I heard a, um, an eighth grader, he was talking to some of the sixth graders, 
And he was like, hey, you guys should, uh, you guys should, should pray and, and just get your heart ready for worship and prepare yourselves for worship. I think that's part of what it means to offer costly worship. You know, I, if I can just offer a, a, a loving and, and gentle rebuke here, I know some of us, by, you know, we, we, when we come to worship, we're at the mercy of our parents or at the mercy of other people that we have to come with. But when we are constantly coming late to worship service, how prepared can we be to give our best to the Lord? And I, I understand that, that maybe sometimes we come late because uh, the baby is crying and she's, she's uh, exploded all over, her, her diaper's gone all over her face or whatever it is. I understand that. But if constantly, week in and week out, every week we're coming late to worship, what does that tell us about the center of our worship? Is it really all about him? What would it tell you if you're always coming late to a date with the lover of your, whoever your lover is? How, how would they feel about that kind of a response to their worth if we're always coming late? If we're sitting here and we're, we're, we're texting other people throughout our worship service, how much does that tell us about the worth of the God whom we're worshiping? Thinking that, oh, they don't see it. Least of all, God doesn't see it. Is that the kind of worship that God desires from us? Is that the kind of worship that is due the lover of our souls. Is that the worship that God desires? Is that the worship that Easter, the resurrection of our risen Lord, demands of us? What kind of worship are we bringing before our God? What kind of worship are we giving to our God when we say, it's all about you, king of endless worth, and yet I... What does that say? about the nature of our worship and how has Easter touched our worship of God? The second thing that we see here is not only should Easter affect our worship, it should affect our our prayer. It should affect our prayer life. Practical atheism makes prayer our last resort. It makes prayer our last resort. Jesus says, In verse 49, he says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Look, if the one who promised you is not only faithful, but is powerful beyond measure, would we not go to him in prayer? If the one to whom we pray is the one who conquered, just broke free from the tomb in victory, in power, in freedom, and won that for every single person who had put their faith in him. He shattered the chains and broke free from all of the things that afflicted him and afflicted us. If that was the risen Lord and he's seated at the right hand of God, he is faithful to his promises, he is powerful and mighty to save, would he not be the one to whom we would pray and pray often? See, practical atheism makes prayer our last resort. When we have a difficulty, what do we do? Where do we go? Where do we turn? When we've got an important decision to make, where do we go? Do we go to all of our friends and say, hey, 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 this is, this is what's happening. What should I do? Do we, you know, we, we tweet that on Twitter and, 
and, and, and, and say some kind of a message that says, oh, I had a really hard day so that someone will come and ask us, oh, what happened? You're like, well, um, if you really want to know, then text me, and then I'll tell you. And then we, we, we want to talk to other people about it. And then when nothing else seems to help us, and then we say, okay, maybe I should, I should just pray. Practical atheism makes prayer our last resort. See, doesn't it make sense that the one who is powerful beyond measure would be our first would be our first place that we go to, our first response rather than our last resort. There, there's a, a sneaker commercial that was, uh, when, I was, when I was in high school, it would, it would run. It was for a, a sneaker brand. I don't think it's out anymore. It's called Avia. And uh, it's a part in another basketball commercial, but that's probably why I remember it. Um, but a group of guys were playing basketball. There was like 11 guys, and they were actually getting ready to play ball. And there was this one kind of scrawny, dude, and he's like, can I play? And they're like, no, you can't play. He wasn't, he wasn't like a kid, and these guys were all adults. They were all kind of like teenagers, and he was probably like, uh, probably their age, but didn't, didn't really look like he was much of a baller. Uh, and so they're like, no, 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 you're too, you, you, just, you just sit over there and, and, and watch us play. They're playing this game, and, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the game, this, I guess he's supposed to be the superstar. He's like, I got, I got to go. And they're like, what? It, it's just finished out the game. He's like, no, nah, I got to go. They're like, what are we going to do? We only have nine people. And at the far end of the bench, this kid is sitting there. And so this superstar takes him on. He throws it at him. And he's like, kid, get in the game. Don't choke on it. And it was like, oh, this guy. And then next thing you know, they're playing. Okay, and it's like, it's, just in, in, it's like rapid succession. They're playing this game. Oh, what's so funny about that? <laughs> they're playing. And the game is going back and forth. And this guy straight balls them up. Like, it's crazy. You see him, and he's like, uh, he's like driving past people and going to the basket. He's doing behind-the-back passes, crossing people over. And at the end of the game, at the end of the commercial, you're like, my goodness, this guy was just sitting there on the bench. And he's the one who should have started the team, but he was their last resort. Isn't that what we do a lot with prayer? We've got God on the bench. He's waiting to come in and and straight dominate the game. And we're doing all of these other things, and, and then finally, at the end of it all, we're like, okay, God, come, come on in and, 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 and help, and let's see what you can do. And then he comes and he shows his power, and we're like, man, we, we shouldn't have wasted all of our time with all of these other things. We should have gone to him first. See, practical atheism makes prayer the last resort. But when we understand and live in the reality of Easter, that is a frequent place. We're always going to that place. If that's really our God, why would we not pray to him? I got a message last night from a pastor up in Maryland. He's uh, going to be a speaker for our youth retreat in, in August. I'm really excited about this. But the reason I asked him was because um, this guy, is a, he's a, a man of prayer. His church is called Hope. It means house of prayer for, for everyone. They have prayer meetings, um, you know, morning prayer, five five mornings a week and nighttime prayer three nights a week. And, and last night in the message that he sent, he said, can you, uh, can you email me the names of all of the people who are going to the retreat so that I can uh, begin to pray for them and, and just pray for God's blessing over that time? And that's four months out. And I, I'm not going to miss that retreat for anything. I know something sweet and powerful is going to happen because when the people of God pray, right, he understands the resurrection reality. That if that's our God, if that's our God, then he can't be my last resort. He's got to be my first response. 
Charles Spurgeon would say the same thing. He said, prayer in a church, prayer meetings in the church are the grace-ometer of the church. You want to see how much grace and blessing God is going to pour out? Look at the life, the prayer life of the people within the church. How much prayer is there in our lives? And as we serve God, as we teach, as we serve, as we shepherd, whatever it is, May we not turn to all of these other things first and try and solve the problems and do all this thing in our own human wisdom and ingenuity and then add God's blessing over it in prayer. But may we pray, and from that place, may all those other things flow. That's the second thing. And then the last thing, the reality of the resurrection necessarily affects our witness as well. That's what it says in verse 46. He told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. The fact that they had seen that Jesus Christ suffered, was crucified, rose from the dead on the third day for the forgiveness of sins, and they saw dead man walking. And that made them go and made them be witnesses, first in Jerusalem and then to the ends of the earth. They quite literally said, Jesus, I believe in you, and I will go to the ends of the earth. Though it costs me my life, I'll go. See, if Jesus Christ really is God, and he died for us, and then he rose again, and that reality has affected our lives, and by Instinct, it should cause us to go and to tell other people about this reality. John Ortberg is one of, uh, he's a, again, I, he's one of my favorite uh, pastors, preachers out in California. He uh, tells a story of how many, many years ago, uh, he was uh, working in a, as a kind of a church official in, in Minnesota. And he would often be called to go to rural areas where there weren't any churches, and he would have to go and do funerals there. So one time he was called on to do a funeral and he was driving with the undertaker. The undertaker was driving a hearse out there. And so they went out all the way into the kind of rural areas and did this funeral and they were coming back. And, and as he tells the story, uh, John was really tired. And so he, this is a little bit creepy, but he decided on that long ride back to where he was going, he would uh, lie down in the back of the hearse. <laughs> so he lied down in the back in the, uh, in the casket and he fell asleep. They were driving, and the, the driver of the, uh, <laughs> driver of the hearse had to stop by and, and fill up on gas. <laughs> so he stopped at the gas station. <laughs> this is, uh, during this time, uh, it was full service, so they would pump the gas for you. And so while he was, the guy was pumping the gas, um, John Ortberg, in, in the back of the hearse, uh, woke up, and then he wanted to play a prank on this guy. So he woke up and stood straight, uh, sat straight up, and he knocked on the window, and then he started waving, and this guy just flipped out, and he took <laughs> off running. <laughs> because when you, when, you see, when you see life in a place where you expect death, you take off running, don't you? In a place where you expect to see death and you see life, you take off running. And that's what these disciples did. They expected to see a dead Jesus, but where they expected death, they saw life. And it caused them to take off running because they were witnesses of these things. See, when Jesus 
When Jesus talks to his disciples after he's risen from the dead, he expects them to go. And it's not like, I need to prod you, I need to prompt you, I need to push you, I need to challenge you to get out and go. He expects them to go because in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission, he talks about how all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey everything he's commanded. But when you, when you, when you take this Great Commission and all of the verbs in it, if you look at it in its original language, the way that Jesus had, had, had given it, the, main, the only command in there is to make disciples. Did you know? The Great Commission is about making disciples. And here's what, here's what these other three verbs are. They're all participles. That means they are ways of living out the making disciples. So here's what Jesus was saying. It says, there, all, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, as you are going, make disciples by baptizing them into the church and then teaching them to obey all the commands of God. See, he, he assumes that we will go. He assumes that if you've seen this, if you've been part of the resurrection reality, if you've experienced the new life and the new birth of Easter, then you will go. Because where you expect death and you see life, you're going to go. So Jesus says, as you're going. And we go and we witness about a lot of things. And I've been witnessing a lot about certain things in my life. I've been witnessing about the life-changing power of this fro- frozen yogurt place called iKiwi near UCF. I've been witnessing to people about that. And, oh, it's so good. And the lady there is so nice. And she's always giving discounts and giving out free ice, uh, yogurt and stuff like that. And I've witnessed to the life-giving power of, of Monopoly Deal and how we can, it's so addictive and it'll change your life once you play and it'll, it'll strengthen your marriage because it cause you to spend quality time and all of these things. But we witness about so many things and ultimately we witness about the things that we worship. Right? What are the things that you retweet on Twitter? What are the things that you put on as a YouTube link on, on, on your Facebook status? It's things that we worship. It's things that we love. But how much do we witness about the one whom we so passionately worship on Sunday? He's saying, if you have tasted this, then you will go. And you will go. That's the reality. The blessing is we go taking the life-changing message of forgiveness of sins because Christ Jesus has died on our behalf, that he has gone that place. He has left his comforts to go to the ends of the earth for you and for me. And as we go, we proclaim that message to those who need to know. It's a message that the world is dying to know, and it's a message that this world is dying without. And the joy that we can have when we take part in witnessing of the one who's risen from the dead, the one whom we worship, that joy could be ours. Last week, uh, Olivia and Manny were out shopping at a uh, premium outlet mall, a prime outlet, one of these outlet malls with uh, their friend. And uh, they saw this little boy, a uh, little boy who was crying all by himself, a little child. And he was crying and he was sobbing and just looked completely out of it. And so Olivia went to him and said, are you lost? And um, he was a Latino boy, and so he, he couldn't speak English. And so she said to him, uh, ¿Dónde está? To mama. <laughs> and where is your mama? And he said something or other, and, and the way I understand Olivia saying it, uh, he said to her, something, 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 perdido. 
which means something, something, something lost. Right? So apparently this child was lost. He's crying, and she's like, como, como te llamas, right? Is that how you say, well, what's your name? And he's crying, and he, he, he said, Guillermo was his name. And so uh, she's like, okay. And so she, she grabbed his hand, and she's looking for uh, his mama. Then all of a sudden, as uh, he did, I, I think he didn't want to go there. He just wanted to stay where he was. And all of a sudden, right, in, in the distance, you see this, this man. Right? We assume it was his father. And he saw Guillermo, and this, like, huge smile came upon his face. And he came running to him, and Guillermo came running to his dad, and he picked him up. And there's this huge smile on daddy's face, and Guillermo's still in tears. And Olive just kind of uh, faded in the distance and, and just celebrating the joy of an embrace when a father finds a child who is lost. And the part that she got to play and the joy that she experienced in seeing a child come home running to his father. That's our joy. That's our inheritance. That's our reality because of Easter. It's over. It was done last week. Now what? Easter wasn't the end. It was actually just the beginning. Now the ball's on our court, in our court. So (laughs) don't choke on it. Let's pray. So we come to the Lord. Let's take a moment in prayer. Easter, the resurrection changes all of these things, changes our worship, changes our prayer, changes our witness. How are we living in light of Easter? Is our life different this past week because of what we celebrated last week? Is our life different because of who Jesus Christ is? Let's come before the Lord and be in two ways. Let's pray. First, a prayer of confession. If we have been living as practical atheists, we've been coming week in, week out, celebrating the wonder and the worship of our God, and yet um, practically, maybe there's not the life-giving joy, power, change, that there ought to be in our lives. Let's take a moment to confess that to the Lord God. And then secondly, let's pray and just offer a commitment to the Lord, to God here and now. Here and now, I don't know what others will decide, but for me, I choose to follow you. I choose to give my heart to you. I choose to make this kind of a change. Maybe it's coming 15 minutes early for service to make sure that I can prepare. Maybe it's sleeping by 11 o'clock at night on Saturday so that I don't wake up groggy and late. Maybe it's saying that this week I'm going, to, I'm, going to take a, I'm going to take time during lunch break at work and I'm going to invite a person I know is in need of the hope of Christ. Maybe this week I'm going to make a decision to tie a string around my finger and every time I look at that string I'm going to pray to God about some area of my life or some person in my life who needs to know the Lord. Let's pray as we respond to the word of the Lord. It's a prayer of confession, of repentance, and then a prayer of response and decision as we reflect on and respond to the word of the Lord. So let's go to the throne of grace together as we pray. God Almighty, we thank you, Lord, that the reality of Easter is true, that the reality of Easter is not some foregone conclusion. It's not something that has no bearing on the way that we live life. It's not something, Lord God, that we live, Lord God, and celebrate once a year and then that we thank you, Lord God, that every Sunday is Easter. We thank you, Lord God, that every day that we gather, Lord God, is an opportunity to celebrate, Lord God, that every day of our lives is a living.
living in the reality of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. We move with us, we work in us, oh God Almighty. May we offer our best worship to you, Lord God, in Christ. Honest, earnest, Lord God, heartfelt worship, Lord God, that begins here and extends outward, Lord. Make us into a people of prayer, Lord God, for whom it would be first response, not last resort, and teach us to be people who would go to the ends of the earth for the Father in heaven, we thank you for grace that was preached after Easter, the forgiveness of our sins. God, we know that we've committed many. Even today, we've committed many. We pray that you would forgive us, and we thank you that those who have put their faith in you, whose eyes are set on you, that there is grace unending and forgiveness that removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. And so we rest on your unchanging grace and thank you for that life you've given to us. We pray that because of what happened 2,000 years ago in a tomb in Jerusalem, we have life. And because of what happened there, our lives are different. So may it affect our worship, may it affect our prayer, may it affect our witness. But also, God, if you are really alive and you really are who you say you are and you're for us and you love us madly, deeply, totally, truly, then let it affect our faces that there would be joy and a smile in us. Let it affect our hearts. Let it affect our relationships with other people that we'd be a people of hope and encouragement, not a people of discouragement and despair. May we live in your hope. We thank you. We love you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's rise as we continue to worship.